You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 261, Joe Pomeroy and How Grace Cancels Shame. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that you are, that you're listening, that you downloaded. Hey, if you're having a conversation out there this weekend with somebody about podcasts, statistically, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more people are listening, so that may be more likely. Would you just mention Halfway There if you enjoy the show? and uh, spread the word to somebody that it's uh, it's a show that you think they would enjoy. would mean a lot to me. So thanks for doing that. Guys, today we have a great conversation as always. I'm looking forward to this one. Can't wait to hear um, all about it, uh, all about our guest. He is a family leadership coach, uh, Joe Pomeroy. Joe, Joe, welcome back or welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, you know, family leadership coach, that's a big term. And so there's probably a lot that goes into that. What does that mean? And what do you do? Well, we hear a lot about leadership coaching in business and things like that. Um, and it's very common in business to have, hey, we, you know, we want leadership development, leadership this, leadership that. The reality is, is the most important unit in society is the family. And I come from a business background that helped to develop an eight-figure company from starting from scratch, uh, having an MBA, all kinds of experience and influence in business. Um, and that's really where my time was focused. And I, I was super frustrated because work felt natural, work felt easy. I'm mean, granted it didn't when I was in high school. It's something that uh, through years and years of study and experience I developed mm -hmm. and it became feeling that way, but family was hard. I got married and trying to figure out how am I supposed to be a good leader? How am I supposed to be a provider? How am I supposed to take care of my family like Christ wants me to take care of them? Um, how, how do I raise up a righteous family? How do, how do I protect them from the chaos that's going on outside the home. And I discovered I was failing and there wasn't anybody to help fathers, to help men be better leaders in the home. And so it, it kind of stemmed from there from a, a big nasty argument with my wife where I realized I couldn't hide at work. I couldn't hide behind what came easy or what felt natural. I couldn't hide behind the excuse that I'm going to be a good provider, Eric. Eric, we're men. We need to be good providers. Oh, 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 oh. And I couldn't hide behind that. Um, and I needed to stand up and I needed to, to be there for my family and be what a real leader is. And so that started a, an eight-year journey of discovering that. And there's so much I discovered along the way that um, I knew I had to share it. And so I walked away from... Uh, corporate life and dove into coaching. And uh, I focus on helping men that understand business principles. You can, when they have success in business, there's principles that underlie that success. And when we focus on those principles, there's a way and an order to most effectively transfer them to lead your family better. And families need that more now than ever. Hmm. That's interesting. So are you saying that leading a family is not that different from leading a business? Correct. Okay. Awesome. If you know the right way to lead a business. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, and that's always the thing, right? So <laughs> it's harder than it, than it looks. All right. So that's great. I want to hear more of those stories in depth. So let's go, go back and, and kind of listen to your story 
and kind of how God was leading you on that path. Cause I don't believe in coincidences or like, I believe God was preparing you for that the, the whole time. So let's hear that story. Where are you from? Where you, where'd you grow up? I uh, grew up in Arizona, Phoenix area, specifically Mesa. Um, kind of born and raised, grew up in a, in a Christian family, went to church every Sunday, mm. had kind of things outlined of what I would do at certain ages through that development. And uh, yeah. Okay. Typ- so- typical boy, played in mud, threw rocks, yeah. made fun of girls until I didn't <laughs> want to make fun of girls anymore. Um, and then they made fun of me, but... That's another story. That's an interesting time. role reversal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll ponder that later on. That was, that was well said. Well, okay. So the, yeah, yeah. So Christian family growing up, um, uh, was, was it, so what was that, what was that like for you? And when did your faith become your own? Yeah. Great question. You know, there's, I had a good family and we had trials and challenges and, um, I didn't, I didn't realize how much my parents were were dealing with and what my father was going through at at the time in my teen years and in some things I'm still learning today in my 40s um 41 just to be exact mm-hmm. when I say 40s that suddenly made me feel like I was older than I was and I didn't <laughs> like it so I'm going to fix that 41 just turned anyway um and it, so it, it was good but I was always craving my dad's attention, my dad's approval. I wanted him to be proud of me. And it wasn't that he wasn't proud of me. It's just, I didn't realize that he was trying to raise a family of five on a radically low income Mm -hmm. after being highly successful as a CPA and having one of the, um, being a a leader of the second largest CPA firm in the entire state of Arizona uh, during the 80s, sold that off and then went to essentially having nothing. And I didn't understand the full depth of what he was going through. And so when I was missing his approval, when I was missing his praise, I kept feeling like I needed to do more. I needed to be better. Um, and I didn't. And, and so most of the time I was good, but I had some, um, I had some challenges that, that clung to me like a, a bad odor. And it, it was always feeling like, I had to, I had to prove that I deserved a savior. Mm. And it's, um, so part of my journey is involved addiction recovery. And one of the things that I learned during that process was the shame cycle. This idea that, um, I need to prove that I'm worthy of love. It starts with this unhealthy belief. If anybody really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And frankly, Eric, that's one reason why men often hide at the office. Yeah, is they need to there, there's these external, these societal, and sometimes even these biblical ideas that get manipulated into what, what a man is supposed to do and represent and how he's supposed to provide. Um, man, I'm all, I'm all over the place. I'm so excited about this topic, but just, well, yeah, (laughs) what's interesting about that. So there's a lot to dig into is I think, I don't know for me, like at, at the office is where I bring my best. Right. And then other, other, some of the other things people don't care about. Right. But all, but all of you matters at home. Right. And so uh, it's easier, you know, most, you know, you're not going to go as deep with most of your coworkers. Right. Right. And so it's much, much easier to be, you know, thought that to be impressive than it is at home. You know, it's just a lot yeah. more ex- expectation. Um, okay. So 
so it sounds like you, you know, as a kid kind of got into that, that shame cycle where, so how did the question was, how do you, how did you have, or did you have a personal experience with the Lord that kind of made your faith your own? And if not, it's okay. If it wasn't a specific moment, sometimes people get a little, um, you know, hung up on that. I know we do in evangelical culture, but it's like, if, how, how that happened? Cause it, whether it happened over time or it happened in the moment, it happened. So how, how'd that happen? Yeah. Well, going back real quick to the shame cycle, this idea of I need to prove that I'm worthy of love. And so I'm going to be perfect. And then that's impossible. Christ was the only perfect one. And so when I'm then not perfect now, I don't deserve love. And so I hide and I hide and, and think of, um, you know, think of in the Bible where Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit and then God comes back and where are they? You know, where are they? And, oh, we hid because we were naked and we, you know, we didn't, God, we didn't want you to see our nakedness kind of thing. And so it's the same idea, this idea of recognizing how unworthy I am. And so I hide from he who will make me worthy. And I I tell you, Eric, I, I was always looking for that big light in the sky, that shining moment, that on fire and speaking in tongues and ready to, to perform miracles kinds of things. And and there were times I, I felt like I didn't get it because God didn't love me enough. But I realized when I was in my early 20s, I started to begin to realize that I had had so many minor moments along the way that each was a building block in developing my faith in Christ. But And it, there was always enough there to give me love and to show me love, but I still resisted it. I still fought against it because of the shame cycle, because I wasn't worthy, man. I tell you what, I believed in the redemption of Jesus Christ for everybody. Absolutely. It's true mm-hmm. for everybody, but me, right? Because I haven't earned it yet. And that's not doctrine. That's not truth. Right. And it wasn't until in my early thirties that I, it was just one moment as I was going through this process and learning and discovering and, and who God really wanted me to be that I recognized that I finally let go of this idea that I needed to get to a certain point of righteousness or a certain level where I could then present myself to God and say, okay, I finally made it. Can you forgive me now? And to be able to let go of that. And, and I won't, I I won't tell you there was a specific moment. I don't remember exactly what that was, but I remember the journey of that for sure. Yeah. Well, describe that journey for us a little bit. Like what, what was that? Well, I guess maybe you have been, um, but that, cause that is what I think is so fascinating. Cause I don't think you're alone, right? I don't think you're the first one to, to go through that. Even though we discuss and we talk about grace and we talk about, um, you know, it, imputed righteousness, even right. All these things that we, that we talk about over and over and over again, somehow that didn't connect like for you. And I don't think you're the only one. So why, why do you think that was? I think because um, empathy is a gift that I feel like I've been blessed with uh, to a degree. And then it's something that I've been blessed having an opportunity to develop. And I can look at you and I can look at others and I can see and feel and recognize the power and the talents within you and, and focus on those things. And, but the truth of it is, Eric, is that I don't know what you do when you're not behind a microphone. And, and for me, I know every little 
unhealthy thought, every little unrighteous action, um, every lustful behavior, every greedy mentality, all of those things. And so it was just this, this idea of, I knew my darkness too well. And surely, I mean, Eric, if I, if I laid it all out there for you and your listeners and people would be surely I, how I thought about it years ago was people would be so disgusted. They'd turn it off and, and I'd be done for. But now I recognize that there's power and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. The power comes through Christ. And all I need to do is turn that over to him. But I didn't want to. I didn't feel like I could. I felt like it was too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I love that. There's power and vulnerability. And uh, I think it's true. Somebody said to me on this show recently that grace is anarchy. And I just love that. Because even though, I mean, that sounds, it's, it's an extreme way to put it, but even though wherever we are, whatever we are struggling with, whatever the thoughts are, uh, which a helpful thing is to realize you're not your thoughts. Those are just thoughts. Um, but those things um, still get grace, right? They still, they still get, they still get the love of Jesus and they're still covered by his sacrifice, um, which is important. Okay. Um, I want to, so that's interesting. So this sounds like this, this took you a until your thirties. So it sounds like you kind of your experience of God until then was one of shame. How did that change after that? You know, it, it started with me loving me. Hmm. And, um, you know, you said something, it was, uh, it was episode 254 with Shea Sparks. And there were, there were a few things that stood out to me in that episode. It was really good. Um, you said something in there that the two of you talked about where it's okay to have needs. Yeah. And, and I think that's where it began. I, and it, it began because things were breaking down in my marriage. Things were breaking down in my home. And I wasn't who I wanted to be or where I wanted to be at that time. And it was either blame myself or recognize that God was trying to teach me something. And so it started with kind of letting go of everything and focusing on who, who am I? Who is it that I want to be? And how can I let God in to become that person? Yeah. Would you call that season a dark night of the soul? Uh, that felt like a sunrise of the soul, to be honest. It oh, felt like I'd been in, in darkness. Um, you, you know what, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in a dark room and somebody comes and flicks on the light and you're like, Oh, it's so bright. I can't see anything. Oh, my eyes, my eyes. Okay. I feel like most of the time I wasn't in darkness, but I was in shadow. I was in yeah. shadow because I was hiding from the light. And so whatever excuses, whatever shields, whatever barriers, whatever shame that I would hold up because I didn't, feel like I was, uh, the light was too much. It hurt my eyes and it, and it, it would reveal too much of what I was hiding, um, outside of Sunday, outside of scripture study out, you know, in the dark corners by myself. And so walking in shadow, this realization, it was more like a sunrise. It was more like a waking up. It was more like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of those 
visors or, or um, sleep guards that people will put over their eyes so that they can, it's, it's yeah. totally dark. It was almost like I'd been trying to walk around and exist with one of those on. And then I'm starting to peel it up and go, oh, hey, this is great. <laughs> so I, I almost feel like I, the, the darkest night I had, though, though, as far as my journey was feeling like everything I thought about myself was coming true and it was being proven because my wife was going to leave. And I was convinced if she really knew me, she'd leave. And so I was almost pushing her out. We would fight and we would argue because, you know, hey, you're going to leave anyway. So let me just talk about this or, you know, treat this way or keep these barriers up. I've got one foot out the door because you're going to leave anyway. So I can't be fully invested in this because it'll just make it hurt more when you eventually do leave. And that, I would say, was probably the darkest time because I had wanted for so long to have the kind of love that my wife was willing to give. And then when I got it, feeling like I didn't deserve it and wrestling with that and constantly wrestling with that. Um, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, so tell us that whole story about how that all went down and what, what happened and you can be as share as much as you want or don't, but like, tell us, tell us that and how that, you know, that moment and how that kind of shaped you and, and, particularly your journey with the Lord? Yeah. Well, the biggest moment of it was, um, was my man-sized tantrum. And my wife and I were arguing about something so significant that I still can't remember what it was. <laughs> and, um, and I just, I turned, I was angry and I turned to some cupboards we had in our upstairs and I just started kicking in the cupboard door with my bare foot and literally throwing a tantrum as a, as a full grown man. And my wife walked by me and headed down the stairs. And as she's going down the stairs, I finished demolishing this cupboard door. And, um, you know, I take a deep breath and the adrenaline fades and the pain rises. And I see a big chunk of wood sticking out of my foot and I can't get it by myself. The angle's weird. It's, it's in too deep. And I'm looking around and I realize my wife's not there anymore. And I hear keys jingling downstairs. She's grabbing up her stuff. She's headed out the door. And I moved to the, I hop over to the top of the stairs and I can see her walking to the door. And it was like everything, you know, the movies when everything just kind of freezes. And except for the, um, the protagonist where in, you know, for me, it had slowed down. And then with all of these things that I got and realizing what I was doing because of my pride, because I needed it to be my way, because I was focusing so much on business success and assuming that my marriage would take care of itself and work it out because we went to church and we believed in Jesus. And all we needed to do was pray harder. All we needed to do was had more, f mm -hmm. all I needed was more faith. And then God would take care of my marriage. So I didn't really need to give it, invest in it and right. pay attention to it. But really what it came down to was this thought that I need to ask for help. I can't do this on my own. And if she leaves, I won't have anybody here to help me. And so I opened my mouth some words came out that involved please and help. And uh, my wife with her great mercy uh, closed the door, came back, helped me get it out. And then it was just this continuing thought of, I cannot do this alone. And at that point, it didn't matter how many marriage books I read on my own. I needed someone that could, I needed a guide. I needed my own Yoda to help me through this. And I reached out to a friend of mine um, 
And he, he shared some thoughts with me and he told me about a recovery program that he was going through. And I said, no, 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 buddy, buddy, I need help with my marriage, like uh-huh. not recovery program. And he's like, it's going to give you this foundation. This is where you need to start out at. And it, it, it's interesting how often when we put ourselves in the right place, we're able to be an instrument of God for others. And that's what my friend was for me. And that's, that's what I try to do now in the work that I'm doing with my business is to be, to be an instrument for God, because I would not have been able to transform one without God and two without those that he put in my life as examples to guide me and to give me the direction, to give me uh, the clarity. And then once I pursued that, I, and and that's when this transformation into discovering, like, I can love who I am. I can separate. I am not my bad choices. Mm. I am a son of God, and he loves me. And when I make a bad choice, that does not define me. When I make repeated bad choices, it does not define me. God defines me. Jesus Christ defines me. And he defines me as worthy. And he defines me as someone who deserves forgiveness, someone that he was willing to bleed and suffer and die for. And so then those mistakes become an opportunity to be more reliant on him, yeah. to humble myself and say, hey, God, I thought I had this. I'm sorry I, I tried to run off, <laughs> but I need you. I need your help, please. Yeah, there's something interesting in there that occurs to me. All the time, you know, I grew up in this kind of language of deserve, right? And so mm-hmm. we say, well, I don't deserve. I don't know. I've heard people pray, well, God, we don't know why you love us. I'm like, well, we don't have to know why God loves right? Because that's not part of the equation, right? It's not, it's not that we can earn it if only we were perfect. It's that he loves us as we are, right? Mm-hmm. That love simply cannot be earned. And the moment you introduce the idea of deserve or earn into it, it ceases to be love. And that is super fascinating to me. It grieves my soul that so much of evangelicalism, at least the one circles I've been in, brings that into it all the time. And I don't actually think it's the gospel. It's kind of a tough statement to, to make. So, all right, send, send your hate email to me at <laughs> eric at ericnevins.com. It's fine. But um, well, so here's, Here's what's interesting with that, Eric, is that like Dave Ramsey, I, I think Dave Ramsey does great work and really enjoy listening to him. But he has a catchphrase that yeah. he always says. People say, oh, how are you doing, Dave? I'm so, you know, first time caller, long time listener. Happy to be here. How are you doing, Dave? And he says, better than I deserve. And I understand what he's saying with that. And at the same time, one of the most transformative thoughts for me was I deserve love because Christ declared it so. Yeah. I deserve success. I deserve joy. I deserve happiness. I deserve family. I deserve trials. I deserve sacrifice. I deserve opportunities. All of it that comes into my life, I do deserve because Christ has declared it so, not because of anything that I have done or could do or can do, but simply when miracles take place in my life, even simple things, it was pouring rain, rain like coming down in buckets. And got to take my, and it was doing that yesterday when I dropped my kids off at school and, and dropping them off took a really long time and they're running through the rain and getting wet. Well, today we had this beautiful miracle where there was like this 15, 20 minute pocket of no rain. 
And it was right when we opened the door to walk the kids out to the car to when I dropped them off and they ran into school. I, that's to me, that's a tender mercy that God offers to us. And I, I love right. those things. And if we see that, we can say, thank you, God, for declaring that I deserve that. Because, you know, so that I think is words have the meaning that we give to them. And if deserve triggers shame, then find a different word. If deserve is something that brings up that you need to do, or, you know, that you need to change or you need to adjust so that you can earn that, like you said, or, or deserve it because of what you have done, that will never happen. But every day we deserve love because of the glory of God, because he has declared it so. Yeah. Okay. So you received your wife's mercy. I love that word. That's such a great word for that situation, right? Like, that's so good. And then, um, and then you kind of embark on this journey of recovery and study and what, so what, take, take me through that. Some of the things that you were learning and the ways that maybe you found God in those, in those moments. What, what did he, so let me ask it this way. What did he, um, remove as a, as a part of your identity, things that you were, were holding on to? And what did he give you as a part of, of who you are? I love that. He removed from me the need to appear perfect. And he gave me the ability to accept myself as I am. And the primary piece of that involved being a work in progress being it that it's okay to apologize it is okay to make mistakes mistakes were expected you know we read in revelations about the you know that there's a plan that's offered and and one says you know oh, well i'll i'll do that for you and give me all the glory and then the other one you know oh here am i send me and he says oh i'll send the first and that whole this whole battle in heaven was about the opportunity for us to come and make mistakes so that we can grow exponentially by learning from them and so that we can grow to become reliant on our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's probably discovering and believing in my heart, not just knowing in my mind those things has been incredibly powerful. Yeah, well, so what were those steps? How did you discover all of that over time. Yeah. So we uh, have this experience with my wife and then the phone call with my friend and I start up in this program and there's three phases and it starts with a six week that you're six weeks you're together as a couple and say, all right, here's some things that are going on for you as a couple and da 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 that you can learn for your relationship. And then we split up to do individual work. Um which then comes into the loving of self. Now, during this time, that those three phases lasted probably about three to four years. Hmm. Uh, and during that time, anytime there was a workshop that came up, it, it was uh, some other things that we, there was a hold me tight is one of the things that we did. If anybody wants to Google that and, and check out that, that was really interesting. Um, although I don't think I could have gone through it without support and guidance because there's just a lot of new things there. But there's a lot of discovery about wounds and how those things go. And so we're doing these workshops. We're doing taking body language workshops to l- learn more about how does body language, I mean, anything, Eric, anything that you can think of 
that you could do that might have some kind of influence on your marriage to help you be a better communicator, to be more involved, better connected, to avoid triggering or rubbing wounds of your spouse, anything like that. We Mm -hmm. took all these workshop weekend workshops that we went to books that we read, um, anything that we could do. And I'm going through all of this. And then at the same time, you know, while I'm doing this, I'm continuing to grow this, this business and help it get larger and larger. I'm uh, working on my MBA. We're adding children to the mix. And, and it feels like I'm getting that breaking point again. You know, it feels like more and more weight's been added and I'm going, Hey, well, this isn't what I thought it was again. And I sit in a workshop one night, and this is probably kind of the other great pivot point of this journey for me. And I was listening to someone share some of the challenges they were going through. And in my pride and arrogance, because I'm sure I was doing the same thing, I'm going, seriously, dude, this is the same thing you were complaining about two weeks ago, which is the same thing you were complaining about two months ago. Like, come on, man. And I was really like, I I was projecting because I was frustrated with myself. And I guarantee you, I was doing the same thing. Yeah, I was really frustrated. And so finally, I was just like, you know what? Here, here it is. He was, a, he had a, he was a dentist. He had a business that he was developing and growing. And I started relating things to him in terms of how he would run his business and how he would treat his patients and things that he did. And he was like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, no, this is what I do for my patients. And I said, okay, so why is that different from home? And here's how you can do that at home. And I start translating that. And, um, and he's nodding his head and he's clicking for him. And I'm going, yeah, Hey, and the things are clicking for me. Cause here, here's the thing, Eric, I, I am so prideful and arrogant at times where the only way God can get things through my thick skull is if I, <laughs> if I share them with somebody else and, um, I can't often hear them, but usually, uh, I mean, listening to podcasts like yours, I get all this powerful information. I absorb it and I absorb it. And then I go and I communicate it with somebody else. And I, and that's when the light bulb goes on for me. Right. Well, so that's, what's happening here this night. And then I kind of, you know, I did it the next week and, and then somebody pipes up. Yeah. Joe, come on, man. You can't treat a family like a business. Like that's cold. Are you kidding me? And I went, Oh, he's right. You, you can't. I mean, yeah, family, that's family. That's not a business. Like you can't fire your spouse or your kids. You can't, you know, <laughs> you don't get sick time when you don't want to be at home anymore. And, and you just check out, like, it doesn't work that way. And I went home down. I was feeling, I was feeling down and I was just praying. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. I got, I thought you were giving me something here. I thought this was going to finally be the breakthrough I needed to get to that next level. So everything didn't feel so heavy. But I realized that what, why it was working is because I didn't have an agenda that I, I went through a checklist. I, you know, I didn't sit down with my family every morning and go, okay, everybody. So what's on the agenda today? All right, little Jimmy, you're going to be going to school and you're going to get your homework done. And let's see at three o'clock. You, like we didn't do that. And, you know, I'm not saying that family planning is bad or whatever, but that's just not what we did. But what I realized is for example, here's, here's a big one. And I touched on it earlier before. There's the principle of, of, of ROI, of a return on your investment. I had invested so much time, money, effort, education into learning business. 
if there's a principle of ROI, then the idea suggests if I will invest that same amount of time, energy, effort, and education into learning more about Jesus, into learning how to be a better dad or to be a better husband, then I will have success in those areas as well. But the problem, Eric, is we don't have time. I'm already, when my wife's walking out the door, I don't have time to go, hold on, let me go get a bachelor's degree in family. Hold on, let me go work on my master's in parenting. Like we don't have time for that. And that's how I realized focusing on the principle, I can translate the principle I've already learned. The principle, I already have internal confidence about this principle of success because I've seen it work at work. And so now I can translate that same principle of success and my confidence in my ability to implement that principle. And I can transfer that to my family. I can transfer my ability to resolve conflicts at work with clients, with colleagues, things like that. And I can transfer those same ideas and principles to how I resolve conflicts in the home between my kids or with conflicts I have with my spouse. And all of these pieces started to come into play and they were all whispers and guidance. And I believe that all truth, whatever the truth, belongs to he who is the truth. And so every time that these pieces started to come forward, when I would act on what God was speaking to me, when I would act on the impressions of the Spirit, I not only received more guidance from God, but I also began to see the path that he was lining up for me. I love that. Yeah, so that kind of led you to coaching, sounds like. Yep. So tell us about uh, kind of that and what what you do, how you sort of cut. Is uh, that's a big word, codify? Like how you kind of like brought all these things together is like okay, these are the things that people need to know and how you teach it. Yeah, absolutely. So transferring into the coaching business was a bit of a journey. Um, I started out doing copywriting, loved that, developed powerful relationships, still do some of that uh, for fun, and then I really felt like I needed to focus in, on family, and this was back in um, 2019, fall of 2019. And I needed and really focus on family. And I went, God, that's a great idea. Now here's how I'm going to make it better, <laughs> right? Because that's what we do. God gives us an idea and then we make it better, right? <laughs> so no, obviously the best ideas come from God. So, but right. in, in realizing that I went, I started to have this thing of, I'm, I'm going to make it better because I don't know if people are really that interested in investing in their families. So let's add this business piece of how to build your business without ending your marriage. And man, that sounded great. And this is going to be wonderful. And, and success was starting to come in from that. But my heart was heavy with different things. And, and I even published a book about that that became an Amazon bestseller. And, um, but my heart became heavy with that. And I was wrestling with this idea. I apologize. It was 2018, fall of 2018, okay. when I had this idea from God. Anyway, then somebody brought up, Matthew six to me, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I was like, yeah, no, I totally believe that. Oh, wait. Oh, shoot. (laughs) God gave me an impression in my heart to focus on family. I was worried about 
the financial opportunities that would come if I only focused on family. So I tried to bring in what I thought would produce greater revenue by bringing in this business idea. And man, that was humbling. That was really humbling to know how much time I invested into my idea is better than God's. And I shifted that and transformed that. And once I did that, Eric, it was like, it was like the gates opened, the, the light brought up, got on. This is going back to our analogy. And I might as well have been in a dark room and then the, somebody turns on the light and I'm going, oh my goodness, it's so bright. <laughs> but everything became clear. And every, this, and that's when everything, I got huge clarity and realized we live life one-dimensionally. And we need to live a three-dimensional life. Darkness is one-dimensional. Light is three-dimensional. And so I have a 3D family framework to help men become better leaders in their home. Those three Ds are discover, decide, and do. And each one of them focuses on business principles that enables you to move your family forward, to prepare your children for whatever happens in society, wherever things go, and to have your foundation on Christ. Yeah, I love that. That's so, so powerful and very important. Okay, well, fascinating. I'm intrigued by this idea that uh, you kind of added to what God's idea was. But <laughs> uh, but it, it wasn't really, I mean, I don't know if it was that. Like, there's 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 room for you to be uh, you, right? Because he gave you the assignment for you to figure it out. But it sounds like you kind of went in a different direction because you thought it'd be more profitable. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that right? Yeah, that's very accurate. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then the Lord was like, "Hey, wait, no, this is what I want you to do, right? Like, go go do this instead." I love that. Okay, well, so if so, that's something that's really fascinating. Um, that's something that people uh can connect with you for, and that people can can talk to you about. What um, where can they do that, and how can they get a hold of you if they want to? Yeah, go check out forwardwithjoe.com slash halfway. And if they go there, there's depending on how interested you are in learning more about this 3D family framework, you can go on there and do a free strategy call with me. It is, it is not a pitch. A lot of times we hear about go to, oh, go to places, schedule a free call. And then it's like, oh, Eric, that's what's going on. Interesting. Well, I have this really high ticket item. It's a discovery <laughs> call. It's to have a conversation about where you are, what your real needs are. Um, cause most expensive thing you can pay is attention to the wrong people. Right. And, uh, I, I stole that from my friend, Dr. Fred Jones, so I can't take credit for that. But, <laughs> um, so that's what they can do. Go check out forwardwithjoe.com slash halfway offering your listeners an opportunity to, uh, take a free strategy call with me where they can get some more ideas about where they're at and how the 3d family framework applies to them and their journey with their family. Um, or if they just, want to watch a video, they can get that for free as well. So just some different resources there, but really with everything that's going on outside of us as parents, we must stand up for our family in righteous, healthy ways. Mm. Because if, if we just, if we just pound the pulpit and shove the Bible in front of our kids' faces, or if we avoid them and think I'll just pray harder, then we're not honoring the stewardship that God has given to us. And a lot of times it's because we haven't received the examples that we need. And that's okay. That's part of the journey. 
It's the same idea if you want to improve your health, if you want to improve your business, whatever it is that you want to do, learn the, take the opportunity to learn and discover. Yeah, I love that. Sometimes we just don't have the examples. We don't have the insight. You just don't know what you don't know, right? But yeah. but once you see and once you have a, a little taste, it's incumbent upon you to take the action. And I, I talk all the time about agency. You know, I know that, um, you know, yes, there we are. There's all these things that we're slaves to, whatever. But we are also made by God to be uh, agents in the world, right? To to move and to do things. And uh, one of those things is to, to, like you say, to protect and, and nurture and build our families. And uh, as we do that, it's one way that we, we spread the gospel and spread the kingdom of God. Uh, certainly I'm, I'm so, I don't know how much church history you've studied, but one of my favorite anecdotes is uh, there's a book called the rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, which I recommend to everybody. It's a little pricey, hard to get a hold of, but a really good book. And he talks about the first three centuries of the church, the ways that, that it went from like a little sect in Judaism to like ruling the Roman empire was they would guess what? Take care of the sick and the outcast and women who were often forced into abortions and things, right? Not cared for uh, babies who were thrown out for uh, just to die of exposure because they weren't uh, right. Um, and to care for the sick in the middle of, of all things, pandemics, right? So uh, funny enough, the church really grew because of the way that they served other people, right? Because of the way that they, that they did that. And I think that's the case in every age, right? Including, including ours, whether we're not just talking about pandemic response or not, whatever the future brings, uh, the reality is the response uh, as believers is going to be very similar, right? We're going to show up and we be faithful. Um, and so once, once we know that uh, it's, it's just a matter of, of taking that action. So you help people take that action is what you, yeah. is what you do. That was, that was a long setup to that one short <laughs> sentence. I'm sorry. It's perfect though. You said earlier, there's no coincidences. And if we look at that, we can find the underlying principle. The underlying principle is that growth comes through service, which mm-hmm. is completely contrary to what society would teach us. The idea that if I open myself up and I give to others, then I receive more in return. And whether that's when, we're, again, we're finding the principle, the truth that underlies it. And now we can apply that to myself as a human being. If I want to grow, as a human, if I want to grow as a father, as a husband, then right. open myself up as, as a wife, as a, a child, open myself up and give. And as I give with good intent, not right. giving a gift begrudgingly, but giving with good intent, then the growth is a natural response. Right. Or expecting a return even, right? Like it's just giving, uh, again, we're back to, back to grace, right? And mercy. So um, I love that. All right, Joe, thanks for sharing with us again. People can find you where forward with Joe, uh, dot com slash halfway. Yes, sir. I love that. Is there anything you want to leave us with? <sighs> no, I, I, I think I've talked plenty, but <laughs> <laughs> just the idea that, uh, something you said, and I can't remember if it was before we started recording or not. But so I just want to recap this, and this has really stood out to me. What you said is that 
our family deserves our best. Not, and, and there's that word deserve. And maybe it's because the reason our family deserves our best is because that's what God has taught us because God has declared it so. And so how, what's something that I can do, that you can do today at this moment to do, to give more to your family than you did the day before. And if everybody can walk away from this episode, having done one thing more, then we're going to see, start seeing some powerful changes out there. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in iteration. You don't have to do it all in one day, right? Take one little step, one little action. Try to change one thing a month or one thing a quarter, right? And it compounds over time, which is super powerful. Uh, and the funny thing is, you know, it's a business principle, right? But that works in our spiritual life. It works in our family life. It works wherever we are. So, Joe, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. 